Hello and welcome to episode three of the Yorkshire Vets podcast. Uh, my name's Steve Hancock and I'm back with uh, one of our vets, Steve Robertson. Hello. Um, this week we're going to touch on a subject that is um, perhaps slightly controversial um, with some people. Um, it's one of the biggest criticisms that we, we get in general is that, that vets are overpriced, vets are ripping you off, vets are basically extorting you for for money on the services that your, your pet requires. Um, now, obviously, we don't feel that that is the case. Um, so we're going to have a bit of a discussion today on on vet fees in general, why they cost what they what they do and um, and why people are perhaps unaware of just the general cost of healthcare, particularly in the UK. Yeah, I'll just kind of intervene at the moment and uh, just say it's probably one of the things that upsets vets the most and anyone who works in the veterinary industry the most is that criticism because with that criticism also comes the implication that they actually don't care about the animals and, you know, the amount of times that you, you hear that, you know, we're holding people to ransom is really insulting and really is one of those things that um, puts stress on a lot of vets um, and uh, makes them feel guilty about doing their job the way that they think is the best way to do their job. So we're often felt like we're cutting corners trying to to keep the costs down rather than necessarily doing the best thing that we can do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something we sort of touched on in the first episode when we talked about becoming a vet and being a vet yep. is that you don't, you don't become a vet for a financial gain. You make that decision at such a young age that you're not really taking what your eventual pay packet is going to be into consideration. Well, I was 15 when I kind of, you know, had to make my decision of where I was going to go in my life journey. And, you know, at 15, the last thing you're thinking about is, you know, what your mortgage is, you know, how much you're going to earn. You're thinking about what job do I want to do? And I've got to be honest, I, you know, wage was not a consideration. And Back in the olden days when I became a vet, there wasn't the internet and there weren't things like that where you could even go and explore those sorts of things. So there wouldn't have been an avenue to, to find that out. And uh, it didn't mean that uh, there wasn't lots of people you know, trying to enter the vet school. It's the same situation now. People aren't doing it for a love of money. They're doing it for a love of animals. You know, so, the love of money isn't at all a factor in why we turn up at the universities. No, so I mean, I guess my point there is really that the vets that you see are not there they haven't ended up where they are because they want to make money they've ended up where they are because they have a passion for animals they have a passion for healthcare they have a passion for um, making animals that are unwell better Um, and that's and that's the number one priority for you know I would say the vast majority 99% of, of all vets yeah, I think if you, you kind of wanted wages your your top thing, I mean, being a vet would never be what you would choose to be because the amount of hours that you put in, the amount of time that you spend at university, there are so many other careers that you can be much better rewarded than by being a vet. And uh, so it's not a, a degree that I think anyone would get into if they just purely had money on their mind. So that's that's kind of tackled the side of the point of view of, of the vets are only in it for the money. Um, I think... The, the biggest contributing factor to people's misconceptions about the fact that vets are overpriced is the fact that particularly in the UK we have the NHS um, now the NHS is a fantastic thing it means that everybody's got you know free access to, to healthcare as and when they need it um, but it does lead to a misunderstanding about how much healthcare costs 
That's true, and I I think it's it's not just a misconception in the um, outside the veterinary pre- profession. It's true within the profession. There's going to be very few people that actually know how much things cost. Um, we have a, a practice administrator, and she's responsible for the VAT. She's responsible for you know knowing how much it costs for the phones, the rent, and everything like that. And you might have some nurses and some vets who know how much the drugs cost. But putting it all together and trying to work out prices, there's going to be very few people that have the knowledge about how much it costs to run the place. So from that point of view, then we can't even make really good informed decisions on on how much charges should be without trying to get the whole picture into the story of all the costs as opposed to what a charge should be. So we'll we'll, uh, look into a little bit more depth into kind of all of the costs that sort of are involved in, in running a vet practice surely, but just for a kind of a sense of comparison to, to human medicine, um, I've got a few figures here. Um, a consultation with effectively a GP at Booper, which is, you know, you would say is roughly equivalent to having a consultation with, with you here at, at the vet surgery. Um, Booper's charge for that is £70, um, whereas ours is £32.50. Admittedly, the, the Booper console is 15 minutes, whereas ours is 10. But you can see that even if you break that down into kind of a representative periods of time, the Booper console is, is considerably more than you'd be paying your vet. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, the, the fees in the, the medical world are greater in general. Uh, I, I think it's possibly because of the facilities, their wages will, will all drive that. But um, the other thing from a, a kind of a, a GP point of view is that, you know, we, we're often criticised for, for things like uh, re-examination fees or medication reviews. Uh, and people think it's unfair that we're charging for those. But you're never going to have your, your GP, whether it's private or part of the NHS, who's going to go, oh, well, it's just a re-exam. I won't bother charging the NHS. Or you're just in for a medication review. I won't charge the NHS. Every time you see a doctor, they're earning a fee. But we seem like we have to justify those charges more. It's the same, I would I would suppose, as, as any other profession as well. You don't go in and see a lawyer about something. And then next time you go in, because it's the same case, they don't charge you. It's you're paying for the professional time you're paying for like I say we'll we'll break down some costs later but you're you're effectively paying for everything that constitutes that 10 minute consultation which whether it be the first time you've come in for something or the 10th time those requirements that we have to to to, uh, to pay um, are still there it doesn't disappear just because we've seen you once before and the only other way of getting around that, if it if it's something that you know people do seem to have a resentment for, would be to to make your basic first up consult even more expensive, uh, and potentially be charging the seventy pound that the booper uh, does cha- charge for their 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 consultations, and that way then you could potentially have more leniency towards those but it's kind of not you know going to be tolerated within the veterinary industry if we start trying to charge 70 pound consults then you know it's going to be seen as that we're ripping people off even more and from a competition point of view with other surgeries you're just going to fold yeah the the competition with other surgeries thing um we will again that's something that i think we need to discuss in more detail a little bit later on um but going back to some of these other prices um our vaccine prices for a, for a normal dog vaccine which covers for distemper hepatitis parvovirus and leptospirosis 
Um, we charge £35.50 for a booster of that. Um, super drug. Bear in mind at this point that you're not even seeing a doctor, you're seeing a pharmacist. Um, so our booster price includes a full clinical health exam. Um, so effectively you're getting a consultation in with that. Um, a super drug vaccine for hepatitis A is is £49, um, which again, that's it is considerably more expensive just despite the fact that effectively you're or you're not receiving necessarily the same service that you the full service that you receive with us well i mean one of the most important things and again it's one of those things that people seem to have a gripe on when you read the internet is that we only do boosters for the money um and it's i think that the greatest thing about a booster is the fact that you do get the opportunity to see the animal you get to examine them properly uh and whilst people you know may not appreciate how much we're examining um i did do a a youtube video on on how much we can examine in a couple of minutes it's amazing how much information we get just by watching them walk in doing that examination and finding about the health and even simple things like recording weight can show you that if there's a chronic condition where something's been easily losing weight or a patient's been gaining weight, you get that information from those booster examinations that you can always go back to. And so it's just that on alone is worth the, the price of the, the kind of booster without the actual booster being put in. And also just from a kind of, we're a smallish sort of business and I can't remember which of the the, the pharmacies you mentioned there but they're a massive corporate so their buying power for buying in those sorts of things means they'll get their vaccinations in at much greater discount than we could ever achieve absolutely it was, it was super drug for the record but uh, that's just i only chose super drug because their vaccine prices were clearly available on their website so it was a an easy pull um now those are, are pretty basic bog standard things that you might want from a from a doctor or a pharmacist um, moving a little bit more into kind of the surgical side of things um, now there's there's something that we'll touch on a little bit later about our prices and the competition which which as we touched on a little bit earlier under which neutering does fall it, it does fall in as a as a price that we have to compete on but if you were to look at the same operation in human medicine if you were to go to a private um, a private hospital for a hysterectomy operation the cost of that hysterectomy at the Nuffield Health in Leeds is £7,340 we categorise our, our bitch bay prices based on the weight of the animal so the, the smaller the animal the cheaper it is due to a number of factors including the cost of the anaesthetic itself and, and, and bits and pieces like that but our largest bitch bay price, which is 40 kilos and up, which is conceivably occasionally dogs of a similar weight to to the lady that's being operated on, we charge £340. So that's £7,000 cheaper than the same operation on a human. And I can understand that on both counts. We obviously, you know, try and do our basics like that are responsible things like vaccinating and neutering we try to do them as cheap as possible and i can remember a few years back one of the um directors had worked out that 
um, just in the consumables that we used, there was a, a £2 difference in the cost of what we were using and um, the cost that uh, uh, we're charging to the client. So all it took was for another packet of suture material to be opened or another catheter to be used, and we're actually making a loss on the surgery. Um, And that's not including, you know, the wages and everything else that goes into the building. It was purely on the consumables. From a human side of things, they probably are going to have to have greater investment, and that's going to be potentially bigger rooms rather than the kennel, which their costs are going to be greater. Um, and that kind of a little bit shows you why the difference in veterinary prices between the different vets can be different as well, in that the greater investment that you put into your practice, the more things that you need to have, the, the greater um, facilities and monitoring, which there will be in the human side of things, from a, they get to hospital beds for days, whereas our patients go home the same day. And that can be the difference between some of the cheaper vets and opposed to the what's considered the more expensive vets. It's a partly facilities, partly that, but also all the other stuff that goes into it from wages and will be a contributing factor. Yeah, I mean, it's safe to say that there's probably a higher level of expectation and, and standards in a human medicine. Um, you know, you would have a dedicated anaesthetist, for example, if you're dealing with a human surgery. So those sort of costs will, will obviously push up the price. But likewise, you could look at that from the other side and say, in an ideal world, we would have a dedicated anaesthetist. But it would simply be unaffordable to, to any people, to most people, if we were to have to price having the extra members of staff, having the extra kind of um, facilities and, and, and team around that, that would be required for that absolute gold standard of, of what you would need. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a simple thing that, you know, um, you've, you've got a person who's going to have, have that operation. There'll be the primary surgeon, there'll probably be a secondary surgeon, there'll be anaesthetist, there'll be theatre nurses. And I'm, I don't know how many people will be involved, but I would imagine seven, eight people involved in the, the actual surgical point of view. And, and then the recovery team as well is going to be employing people. And so it's all... All that is going to, you know, mean that their prices are going to be significantly higher in that. And it would be a lovely world if, you know, we could invest as as many things as the human medicine side of things. Uh, But that does mean that it pushes you into what would be considered unaffordable. So we have to strike the happy medium by being, you know, good with what we're doing, safe with what we're doing, efficient with what we're doing but also be able to come to a point where we can charge a, a client a, you know, a sensible amount of money that they can afford yeah. to be able to look after their pets as well as they can. I mean, that's the thing. I'm, these, these prices that I've been quoting, are, they're, they're not there to knock human medicine. It's just to draw a comparison so that people can sort of understand perhaps how much their own healthcare costs as compared to, to their, their pets. Um, so it's not, it's not intended as a, as a oh, human medicine's a rip-off. I think it more reflects the fact that the veterinary medicine represents exceptionally good value for what is getting done. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it, as I said, we are seen as a quite, you know, quite commonly, it's the, you're, you're ripping people off, but it's not the case. We are kind of investing yeah. and the investment needs to therefore be paid in the charges. That's it. I mean, we, we, uh, we have to operate within, within a kind of price range that people can afford at yes. the end of the day that's that's basically what we're saying here right okay so we've sort of um, touched there on the price of of certain 
kind of treatments and, and services compared to their human counterparts. Um, I think probably the next thing that we should touch on is why certain products and certain services are priced comparatively low compared to other ones. It's not uncommon for people to come in for a, an advanced surgery and to be shocked at how expensive it is compared to, say, a dog castrate or, or a bitch spay. Um, and likewise, when people look at, say, our consultation cost of £32.50, and then they look at their booster and say, well, that cost £35.50, no, why is it that those those fees don't seem to necessarily tally up? Um, and a lot of that is to do with competition in pricing. Obviously, we have to compete with, with other vets, and there's, there's somewhat of a, a price war that goes on. There is a large... Well, to a certain degree, that some of the companies, um, more so I would say the corporate companies, um, do have pricing policies that are designed to get people through the door um, and they don't necessarily reflect the um, overall costing structure of their business Uh, and ultimately um, all vets have to be profitable because without profitability they can't pay their staff they can't pay their buildings um, they can't remain open and so the you know it is something that you do have to at some stage be able to be making money on some of the services that you're doing. So if it's not on the original vaccines or nutrients, then it has to be somewhere else in the business. And uh, that can either be done by having cheaper prices for the front of sales and more expensive prices out back, or the only other way of doing it is kind of through volumes or potentially even through, you know, having less facilities. Um, you know, if you, you don't invest in the, the more anest- more expensive anaesthetics or, you know, the more expensive uh, equipment for monitoring and, and nicer kennels, then things can be cheaper. But that also has an impact on, you know, the, the patients. Of, yeah, the standard of, yeah. of care. Um like you say, there's 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 a drive to kind of keep some of these prices low, and a lot of that is is sort of from from a marketing point of view. It's easier to to market your boosters, your your neuterings, because they're the the typical price inquiries that you get. It's rare that you'll get somebody calling up and and inquiring how much a cruciate surgery is or how much um, I don't know a, a GDV surgery might be. Um, people don't ring up and ask for those things. Um, so if people are price checking a vets, it's sometimes in a, a vet's best interest to keep those prices very low, use them effectively as loss leaders. If they are making a loss on their boosters, they will need to make that money back elsewhere. That's just a business. You, you, as I said before, you, you have to run on profit. And, <clears throat> you know, profit is what, you know, then goes back into the business. It goes back into the, the, the wages and everything else, the lighting. And so it, if you don't get the people through the door, then you can't charge anything else. But if they're very cheap to come in, then the, the prices have to be made up elsewhere. And I mean, my, I guess my point there really is that if you're choosing your vet based on price, vaccines, neutering, that is not really indicative of how expensive a vet will be when you actually require more advanced care. And that's true. And it, uh, it's it's something that uh, there are cheaper surgeries in there in general. There are more expensive surgeries there in general. But the vaccine prices, the, the comparable prices, just aren't necessarily a reflection on the overall expense of the vet. Yeah. 
And I suppose the other side of, of those prices being kept low is that despite the occasional accusation, we do prioritise the health of the animals that we deal with. Um, those products, the vaccines, the neutering and what have you, are not typically covered by an insurance policy. So it's in our best interest and the best interest of pets themselves for us to keep those prices at as an, as affordable a level as possible, just to make sure that these these animals are safely kind of protected against illnesses that they could potentially have. I mean, ultimately, it's it's the best thing for for animals because, um, and I'm sure every person who's ever worked in a shelter would want you know the more neutered animals the the less unwanted ones there are and and you know that's a, a whole different kettle of fish to go into so neutrings and having them as affordable as possible is is exceptionally sensible to do from a community point of view not just from a, a person's pet point of view and vaccinations it's uh you know um the more people who have vaccines, the less likely there are to see outbreaks of diseases. And, um, you know, we do still see the diseases that, that cause those uh, illnesses. And, you know, it's only a couple of weeks ago that I saw another parvovirus case coming in. And, um, you know, from a veterinary point of view, if we, you know, if we vaccinate something for, you know, £35 and it's protected, we are much happier. The pet's much healthier. If we get an illness in like that, it can sometimes be thousands to try and get them better. And to see the suffering that they go through when they have diseases like parvovirus is just, it's, it's no, nobody needs to be seeing those sorts of things. So the cheaper we can provide those services, um, the, the better. Yeah. And that kind of leads into to the next section, really, is that in order to keep your own vet costs down, the number one thing that we always recommend is to have pet insurance. Um, it's understandable that people can't, on the spur of the moment, knock £3,000 together for a, a surgery to save an animal's life after it's been, been hit by a car or, or what have you. But that's what insurance is there for. It is, and, and people often think that vets want insurance just so they can make more money and um, I can guarantee that that's not the case it's uh, one of those things that when someone's insured it gives you uh, the ability to um, do what you think is the absolute best for the animal uh, the vast majority of times I mean people do have terms and conditions on their policies so that's not strictly 100% true but it gives you an opportunity where you can do as much as you think is you know possible um, for that animal without the financial consideration for the owner which is often a horrible thing that gets in the way of, of you wanting to provide the best service that you can for them and uh, it's not from a, a, a an owner's point of view it, it's the employee's point of view almost that they want that more than the, the actual owners of the business because that's what they're in this for you know only is just to get animals better yeah I mean we I guess what it means is that if you are fully aware of somebody's insurance situation when they walk through the door, you know that they have a good insurance policy, you know that they have insurance limits up to, you know, whatever it may be, that thought of money goes out of your head. I mean, the, the finances are still a consideration because we, we do, we're not here to, to rip insurance companies off or no, anything no. like that. We We are still aware that there are costs of doing things, but... There's just simple little things like if you've got a dog that's had a lump off, you want to get that lump analysed to find out what it is. And it's an extra, 
you know, maybe £90 to do that. It's not really a consideration for an owner if they're insured because they can get that lump analysed. You can find out, will it come back? What could we do in the future? So, And sometimes it is a financial consideration if they don't have the insurance or they don't have the funds available and it can have an impact negatively later on in the future if something comes back. Um, you take a dog with a skin problem, you can treat them much cheaper with things like steroids, but there are therapies that are less side effects with them that are more expensive and you can um, go with those much easier if, if it's, you know, someone's insurance company is paying for, you know, 100 quid a month and, you know, rather than the 10 quid a month, the steroid uh, will do the same job, but with a lot more side effects, you can use better therapies sooner without the, the implications to the owner. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously there is a... A vast number of insurance options out there and it is always important that people are aware of the terms and conditions and the I suppose the idiosyncrasies of pet insurance as compared to other insurance um, whereby say your car insurance if you get a quote at the end of your year of your car insurance and you don't like it and you find another cheaper quote elsewhere then you change your car insurance policy whereas with pet insurance if you have claimed for anything in the past or even if you so a um, a symptom of something has been noted in your vet records previously and you change your insurance policy in most instances that will be no longer covered on any new insurance policy you take out I, I think it is important to know what your insurance terms and conditions are because it is um, quite a common thing that we do see that people haven't understood what the policies that they're taking out and what the implications are and um, it's uh, a lot of people will come in and uh, we say it's got condition A and they say well can I take out some insurance now and, and the answer is no you can't you need that policy in line before the, the conditions happen and uh, I mean it's just something that uh, knowing what you're insured for and some people do get a shock at, at uh, how limited their policies can be so it is important to understand those terms and conditions. It's worth noting as well that if you ever have any questions about your insurance or if you're thinking about taking out pet insurance and you would like some advice on that, then we're, we're always happy to speak to, to pet owners about that. Um, obviously, we can't speak for other vets, but you know we typically find that as it's in our best interest to have pets insured, we're more than happy to discuss that. And we typically do so as part of our primary vaccination. We give four weeks free insurance with pet plan as part of those vaccination packages for both puppies and kittens, at least to get people started off with. Um, so if you're not sure, ask your vet is generally good advice. Yeah, I mean, we can give you some advice. We don't know all the terms and conditions of every uh, insurance policy, but we, we can give you you know advice on, on what commonly you should be looking for and uh, some of the pitfalls that can come with that. Excellent. So I think it's probably time to have a little look at the costs that are involved in actually running a vet practice. Obviously, we've discussed the the price differential between between human and, and veterinary medicine, um, and a lot of these cost overheads will be similar in the, the two industries. Um, but there's a lot that goes on that people would be unaware of. They wouldn't even think about when they they come through the door. Um, so, do you, do you want to touch a little bit on kind of maybe some of those things some of the the prices or some of the costs rather that that we have to pay out for in order to to provide the service that we do 
Well, I mean, there's the common. I mean, every charge that you have when you come into a vet is going to partly go to things like VAT. VAT is probably our biggest expense. I'm not part of the accounting team, so I might be wrong there, but uh, that's uh, obviously going to be one of our biggest expenses. You've then got your your rates or your mortgages that go onto the building, plus all your gas and electric. Uh, so they're kind of all big fees that everybody with a business and everyone with a roof over their head is, is going to have to be paying. And they are going to make up a, a large part of any fee, whether it's the boost of the vaccine or any surgery, a large portion of it's going to go there. Uh, the Probably the greatest misconception is that um, kind of within this industry is, is the wages. And it's, it's often uh, thought that kind of vets are loaded and, and vets are, are getting paid a vast majority uh, of what gets charged. And uh, we do earn a, a reasonable living. Um, the um, average UK vet a couple of years ago when I looked it up was 38,000. Um, and that was a combination of everyone from new graduates to owners to specialists. So gives you a bit of a ballpark figure as, as to what most vets in the, the country are going to be earning. But on top of that, from running a business point of view, there's also the, the Royal College fees that we pay. There's also the fees of the continuing professional development, which is their continuing education that we need to pay. And it's the same with the nurses. Uh, they need that as well. Um, so there's lots of wages and fees and subscriptions that go into, you know, the cost of running vets and nurses and other staff that aren't visible to the naked eye um, beyond just the wages and the buildings and everything else that goes on. And obviously there are, there are other factors in there as well. It's, it's making sure that you have up-to-date equipment that is then serviced regularly to make sure that it's as, the safest it can be for, a, for an animal. Um, there's the cost of IT systems, which um, you might not think are, are too high, but we use specially designed software that's designed solely for veterinary practices um it means that all of our client data is safe because you know the amount of information that we have about people in general and their pets where they live and and their insurance policies and all those sort of things it's it's sensitive data that we have to keep take care of well i got a shock recently about you know it was near the hundred thousand mark where we were just in the it equipment uh which is a you know when you consider that, that's a, a vast expense for a, a business. Um, so that expense in a loan um, is uh, one that needs paying. Absolutely. And then, as you say, there's there's the building costs and what have you, but what people don't sometimes consider is on top of the actual rent or, or mortgage that you're paying on the building, you need to make sure that it's it's in good nick. You have to repaint every now and again. You have to re- replace chairs that have broken. You have to kind of keep on top of general maintenance, and that's that's not a, a small cost either. No, I mean just just at this branch, um, in the the last couple of months, we've put in some new cat kennels and we've put in some air conditioning units, some new air conditioning units, and those expenses alone are, are around about the ten thousand pound mark. So that's that's just kind of you know one branch just from the last couple of months and uh, as a, a bit of a an, you know a, a big expense that you've you've got to pay to you know keep the patients comfortable and uh, so you know if we don't do that if we're not keeping them comfortable then that can cause issues with their their health and in the recovery situation as well and touching back a little bit on the staffing level i mean we we run a our hospital is a nurse training practice um and so we invest a reasonable amount of money in 
training nurses up to to again to look after your your pets and to ensure that we have nurses working to the standard of care that we expect obviously they have to pass their examination so they they are up to a certain standard but the fact that they do that training with us means that we can be very exacting about how things are done and that we have a consistency of care across across our surgeries well, every, every place is going to have their idiosyncrasies and how they run the place. And it's nice that you've got a consistent approach so that you're going to have uh, a consistent approach from vets and from nurses and the way that they're trained and the, the way that they do things. And I suppose something else that's probably worth worth mentioning, we've discussed the the salaries of vets, which given the, um, given the level of education and the amount of training that goes in to being a vet, it's you could say that it's potentially quite a low a low income compared to other comparable um, career paths. Well, you think about it just from a, 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 you know, I looked up the average salary in the UK uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was £27,000. And, you know, a vet's going to university for five years. So if you look at it that way, they're, they're starting with five years worth of 27 behind the average worker in the UK. And on top of that, they've got a, an average debt from their university of £50,000. And, Whilst I know that that is not an immediately payable thing, they'll, they'll, they'll pay that you know partly or, or sometimes fully if they work for a long enough and they get a decent enough wage. It is all another expense, you know, from a, a vet's point of view as to you know why that you know we're considered one of the highest earners in society, but we're generally not. And moving on from the actual vets themselves, you, what what else needs to be considered is is the the support staff that are there. I mean. Typically, reception staff or nursing assistants and what have you, when they come to work for us, the starting wage for those people is is more or less minimum wage. Um, so it's it's not that everybody's walking in every day, doing their job and walking away with a with a vast pay packet and you know rolling in in money. It's people primarily do this job, work in this industry for one reason, and that is a love of animals. Yeah, it is all about a love of animals in here. And, and one of the things that, you know, isn't looked at from a, a veterinary industry point of view is that when we are kind of looking at our wages, it, it's not from a nine to five because we do work weekends and, you know, people don't get paid a premium for, for work on the weekends. And we're also here for 365 days a year at this business. Now, there's a lot of vets these days that don't do that. They defer through to out-of-hours centres and uh, I'm not criticising them for doing that. It's it's an understandable business decision to make because the out-of-hours um, system is incredibly expensive to run. Uh, it's wages, you know, 365 days a year. It's through the night. Uh, and whether it's staffed by, you know, employed vets or nurses, it's still going to be a very expensive thing to run. And then that has to be passed on to the customer, unfortunately. And even if it is, we're still not making money from doing it because the vast expense of it of running that service. So, yeah, we've sort of touched on the the all aspects of the financing of a vet's the cost of the cost of of running a vet surgery why vet care is so expensive which it's fair to say that vet care compared to most people's salaries it, it is expensive but that's because it's expensive for us to provide um the best way of looking at it really from from our point of view is that we believe that we charge a fair price it's it's about providing the best level of service that we can at a cost that is appropriate for the client 
and is also going to make us enough money to be able to continue providing that service to, to other pets. Ultimately, I think a, a vet's goal is to, you know, in life is to do as much as you can do for their pets and um, uh, also for the client. I mean, both are a consideration with everything that you do. Um, and, you know, everyone has their financial means of what they have to pay. And equally so, veterinary surgeries have their, uh, you know, fees that they have to charge to, to be able to provide those services. So trying to strike a happy medium where you can give people value for the services that you provide um, but also be looking after the business and its staff is a, a very difficult goal to achieve that um, and uh, it's something that we, we're always striving to do. So as you can see there's 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 a lot that goes into to running and financing a vet business and we're not honestly not in it just for the financial reward we're in it because we care about animals we we're in it because it's all worth it when you see an animal coming in and it's at death's door and you see it walking out of the hospital again a week later wagging its tail and it's, it's happy you know those are the the moments that that a vet can look back on them and be be happy about they're not looking at their pay packet at the end of the month and going oh i'm so so glad i'm a vet no i mean it, it's all about the the reward that you get from not just getting the animals better and um, but also the appreciation that you get from it and also knowing what these animals mean to people you know we're animal owners ourselves we we know what it's like to to suffer the lows we know what it's like to to have them uh recover and and, and do well and it's one of those things that uh, the rewards of, of the being a vet um, aren't you know measured in pound signs but it's measured in you know how much that you can do the good for as many people as you can do and i said knowing what it, what pets mean to people um that's where you get your reward so hopefully that's given you a good overview of, of the subject of vet fees in general. Um, I have written an article that's up on our website, www.yorkshirevets.co.uk. Um, so if you click on the news section on there, then you'll be able to see that, which covers some of this in, in a little bit more detail, covers various different angles of, of vet fees in general. Um, so if you'd like to give that a read, then, then log on there and have a look. Um, you can also keep in touch with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash YorkshireVets, Instagram, instagram.com slash YorkshireVets, and Twitter, twitter.com slash YorkshireVets. Um, so if you want to get in touch with us with any ideas of subjects you'd like us to cover in future episodes, or if you've got any questions that you'd like Steve to answer about uh, vet care in general, about the well-being of your animal, you know, we'd love to have a, a few questions to answer in, in future episodes. Um, and we should be back again with another episode in a couple of weeks time thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you then thanks very much